Isn't it good to be alive and be free to worship God and come and be amongst the body of believers and uh, share all the good things that are happening and going on? I do miss the young people. We need them, but they need us old people as well. So, But anyway, isn't it great to hear how God is blessing and touching their lives and bringing new people into the kingdom? Amen. I want to talk uh, this morning um, on under the heading of Living with Purpose, uh, which goes along with the initials of Lane Park, in case you haven't uh, worked that out yet. But um, I, uh, we really feel that uh, God is deeply impacting us, uh, and we're going to be talking a lot over the next days, weeks, months, years around some of these themes. But uh, the the topic this morning and the, the question that I want to ask, and I'm asking myself as much as everybody else is, who are you serving? And uh, if we go back to Isaiah 61, that amazing passage that uh, Jesus quoted in Luke 4, um, Isaiah is proclaiming what is going to happen when the Spirit of the Lord comes and, and looking to the person of Jesus comes amongst this earth and the purpose of Jesus and how that will affect life from that point on. And, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful passage, but we often miss the essence of it. Now, of course, Jesus coming is the essence of it and Jesus the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah is the essence of it. But there is another part of it that we miss, which I want to refer to this morning. So when we get to verse 4 in, in Isaiah, it says... Then they, I want you to grab this word because it's not then Jesus will rebuild. It's then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. See, often we miss it and we say, yay, Jesus is going to come, and of course he did. And uh, Jesus is bringing with him the Holy Spirit, which of course he did. And then we say, so Jesus is going to do this, and Jesus is going to do that. Um, Many years ago, I'm not mentioning any names or anything, but many years ago there was a visiting speaker came through New Zealand and uh, were doing some very, very big meetings and they asked us here if they could hire our hall, which we were delighted to do. So he came here and there was about 1,200 people that had come from all over Wellington to uh, hear this man. A number of people here would remember it. I think it was about 2011, but time goes by very quick. And we were sitting in this meeting and, and, and this he, he's a wonderful man of God, but he was saying how the Spirit of the Lord was going to come in 2011. It was February when he came here. How the Spirit of the Lord, and he was listing all the things the Spirit of the Lord was going to come and do by the end of that year. And people were jumping up and jumping up on these seats. See, you were the old ones. We'd tell them off today. No, it's all right. You can jump on the seats if you want to. But um, in fact, I hope we get that excited that we do that. And if it wrecks, if it wrecks the seats, we'll uh, sort that out through the week. Anyway, he was saying how all of these great things were going to happen and the people on the, 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 were jumping up and down on the seats saying, yes, yes, yes. And I was sitting there and I wasn't enjoying them because I was confused. Now, the reason why I was confused is because he was saying that God was going to come and do everything he's commissioned and empowered us to do. 
Now, often when I was raising my kids, um, I would uh, want them to enjoy all the blessings of home, so we'd have a lovely meal, and I'd say, hey, guess what, kids? You can now share in all this great blessing. Uh, you're on dishes duties. And then I'd say, feel free to start them any time you like within the next five minutes. And they didn't often rush out into the kitchen. But listen, I didn't want to deny them that blessing. I was never going to go and say to them, go and do the dishes. And then 10 minutes later, walk out and say to the kids, get out of the kitchen. I'm doing all this myself. Why would I do that? I'd commissioned my kids to do the dishes. We'd taught them, we'd trained them, we'd, we made sure there was dishwasher and cleaning materials, so they were empowered to do the dishes. They had everything they needed to do the dishes. Why would, do we think God is going to come here, roll up his sleeves, and do all the work he suffered and died, spending the life of his son, then going through the death and the resurrection to empower us to do this work? And furthermore, as we do this work, he knows that we're going to get the joy of living with purpose. And if he pushes us out the way and does it himself, which he can so easily do, he denies us the very thing he promised he sent his son to bring us, which is to work in harmony as a father and a son and a daughter doing the things on this earth that God wants to be done. I believe in revival. I really do. I would like to have some discussions about what it really is and what it really looks like. But brothers and sisters, can I beg of you, don't sit on your seats rejoicing when you're told that God's going to come and do all the work that he has suffered and died and commissioned and empowered us to do. It just is not going to happen. So we need to rise up and get involved. So, most of the Christians that I know all over the world, wonderful people, are not overly struggling with blatant sin in the way that we cause it. But I want to turn to Haggai chapter 1 and reveal what most of us are struggling with and are, confronting, are confronted with and have to overcome. So let's read through this passage. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? 
declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. So here is the problem. God is saying, you are leaving my work languishing. In the new covenant, it is the work and the expression of his kingdom not the temple. You are leaving my work languishing because you've got locked into your own work, your own projects, your own things, and then you wonder why there's no blessing upon them. See, in the body of Christ today, there are so many good intentions that don't get carried out because people, like the people Haggai was speaking to, are claiming that, well, now is not the right time. See, how often do you hear the words, I'm not coming to church until the anointing comes back? Or I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to start moving. Now, for goodness sake, do we really think the Holy Spirit has said, I'm discouraged, I'm a little bit burnt out, so I'm going to crawl into a cave and do absolutely nothing. I'm no longer going to glorify my Father who sent me. I'm no longer going to empower my people to do the Father's work. So I am just going to blatantly hide in the cave like a sinful man and do nothing. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard of. See, whether we like it or not, and I know we love it, the Spirit of the Lord covers this earth like the waters cover the sea. That is not a historical statement, and it is not a futuristic statement. It is present tense continuing all the time. The Holy Spirit is not failing in his job. See, here's one of the principles that is really overlooked. If we really want to enjoy the good things of life, and by the way, my hand's up, I do. Unashamedly, I do. But if we really want to enjoy the good things in life, the temporal things, the things that ultimately will finish up at the tip, but let's not go there, we have to bring God into them. See, here's the problem. He's not just there as our master to make us serve and crack the whip. If he was like that, it would deny the fact that he's a loving father with his beloved sons and daughters, which is you and I, and he wants to be involved in every aspect of life. If you're going to have a night off, if you want to call it that, and go to the movies, don't ask the Holy Spirit to wait outside while you have some fun and then come back out and join him again for the hard work. That's not what the way it works. And if you're asking the Holy Spirit to wait outside because you're watching a movie you shouldn't be watching, my advice to you is don't go there. You're only going to feel bad afterwards anyway. See, the whole point is that if we're going to live a life with purpose, we want God and the things he's called us to do, and we want God and the things that he allows us to do by taking our own leisure. I don't want to go away on a holiday and not have the Spirit of God with me. 
I don't want to put my feet up in my lounge room and not be able to say, through the Father's blessing, I have all these things. I want to be able to say, and we're going to come down to the end of Psalm 16, my lot has fallen in a fair place, not because of the labor of my own hands, but because I serve a loving Father and he has blessed me abundantly and anything that I have contributed towards it is infinitesimal. See, Often when trouble and disappointment are constant in our lives, the cause may be that the work we are called to do for God is being neglected because we are too busy pursuing our own dreams. Often that's the case. And this is what Haggai is all about. And it's not just about money, but let's go there for a minute. Let's talk about money for a minute. Often... People say to me, look, we just can't afford to give at the moment. Well, hey, that's okay. Sometimes God wants to bless us rather than us feel the pressure to give. Sometimes we go through financial difficulties and all sorts of things. But the problem is so many people that make this statement are spending a good portion of their income on their own projects, their own holidays, their own material pleasures, and everything else. And this is not bad in itself, but Haggai makes it clear, if we do not put God first and his kingdom and his calling on our life, he will not get involved with us in the projects that we are doing. Very interesting in Timothy. Paul says in Timothy, I realize that, God, you have trusted me with so many great things. And then Paul says this, and I'm sorry I don't have the reference here right now. Then Paul says this, and I also trust you with my things. See, it's a two-way street. Often life gets hard. We seem to be working all the time and the money's just disappearing. We're saving up for a holiday and we've got to get the fridge repaired. Then we've got to get the stove repaired. Then we've got to get an expensive repair on the car. And we just say, I don't know. I just seem to be working day and night and doing all of this and the money's just going into a purse with holes in it. That's what the whole of Haggai chapter 1 is about. God says yes. Because I'm not breathing on your projects simply because you're not availing yourself to mine. And his comes first. See, let's be honest and do an honest evaluation. And I'm not on anybody's case here, but uh, if the cap fits, wear it. See, let's be honest. An evaluation of many world's Christians' lives. They come home from work tired and watch TV. The same as their non-Christian neighbours. They go straight to the doctor when they are sick. The same as their non-Christian neighbours. They run up debts on their credit cards, buying items for entertainment and are not saving any money. The same as their non-Christian neighbours. They eat too much, drink too much, struggle with their marriages and have no idea how to handle their teenage kids. The same as their non-Christian neighbours. They sleep in or go to a cafe on Sunday morning and don't fellowship with a gathered community because they feel there is no need for it and they can get by without it. And by the way, they deserve some time out after a hard week. 
the same as their non-Christian neighbours. Now, all these things in themselves are okay. They're all okay. But is this really the way of life that Christ died to bring us? Is this the way of life that we read about in the book of Acts and what they experience with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Can we ask our neighbours to imitate us when our, their, our witness is the same as theirs? Because I want to tell you something about your neighbours. We have wonderful neighbours and wonderful people. And I've said this before, I'm still one of these foolish people who believes most non-Christian people are great. I want to tell you something about your neighbours. Some of them have more money than you do. Some of them live in better houses that you, than you do. Some of them drive better cars than you do. And here's one, and you may suck some air when you hear this. Some of them have better health than you do. So if all those things are indicative of God's blessing on our lives, God's blessing our neighbours more than he's blessing us. And we know, of course, that that's just not true. So what the kingdom of God is, and its special precious jewel or one of them, is we can have something our neighbours can't have. We can be living our life by God's design, empowered by the Holy Spirit, working together with the Father with the joy of helping and assisting him establish and express his kingdom here on this earth. Your neighbours can't do that. Unless they know Jesus, they can't do that. And right there is the ultimate in life. Right there. It's no secret. It's not really hidden. It's just that we don't bother to stop and uncover it. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth. He looks at the earth, just looks at it, and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. See, brothers and sisters, God is doing this every day. Don't expect to see it on the six o'clock news, but it is happening everywhere, every day. And the problem is there is not enough people waking up each morning and saying, Father, I'm excited about this. I want to work with you and be part of you in this whole deal. This is a blessing I'm after. Put me into the action, Father. I want to be playing on the playing field. And the trouble is we have so many people who really do want to play and really do get excited about what God is doing, but they won't turn up for training. And you can't play at a top level unless you're turning up regularly for training and you're match fit. God would be irresponsible to put you onto the field if you're not fit, if you're not wearing his armour, if you're not taking advantage of everything pertaining to life and godliness that he's made available to us. I promise you, I travel a lot, as many as you know, I promise you, God is doing some amazing things on this planet today, especially with those who are turning up regularly for training. And to be left out of this is an avoidable tragedy. And any short-term rewards that the world can offer are a very poor compensation for what could have been. 
They really are. See, evil is not winning the battle on this planet. It cannot. It's not possible because of the cross of Calvary. It can't do it. It can't happen. I don't care who's preaching what and what's being said. Evil got defeated at the cross. The final consummation of it comes with Jesus' second coming, but it got defeated at his first coming, and it is not winning the battle. The Spirit of God covers all the earth like the waters cover the sea. See, the trouble is we think it's winning because we're not seeing enough evidence of what God is doing. And why not? Because it's not him who's meant to be doing it, brothers and sisters. It's us. And the minute we start doing it, we'll see the evidence of it because it'll be flowing everywhere. In here, out there, doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, work, play, leisure, having fun, the Spirit of God will be flowing through you and around you and out of you because it's inevitable that it happens because the Holy Spirit can only be locked in if we put our will against what He's wanting to do through our lives. See, God's no man's debtor. And he promises us that he is not so unjust as to forget the work and the love which we have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Hebrews 6.10. See, as well as our reward in heaven, our great reward here is that we can live a life of purpose. But this is only found as we truly put our hand to the plough. Now, time's racing on. So I want to pick up three points. These are not exhaustive. They're important. But I want to share three points this morning that we need to understand now and plug ourselves into. So the first one is this. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. The purpose of life is to know God. Full stop. That's the end. You can go to the library and you can get stacks and stacks of books written by every philosopher and psychiatrist and all of those various people on what is the purpose of life. Hundreds and hundreds of volumes. I've never tried, but I'm sure if you Google it, you'll probably get 10 million hits. Here is the purpose of life in one sentence, and it's simple, to know God. That's it. All the work, and I'm not saying all those works are in vain, but we need to understand the simplicity and the complex complexity of it all in one hit. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boasts of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. There it is right there. What is the purpose of life? You can now express it in one sentence, to know God. Second point, God is all-knowing and all-loving. So beyond all the uncertainties of life, The difficulties and instability of life is an all-powerful, all-knowing, 
all-loving God who will ultimately share his perfect kingdom with us for all eternity. See, his promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us and will shape all things together for our best interests and will guide us through all our circumstances of life. I appreciated the emphasis that Bruce brought in his word this morning when he says, even if you're going through a hard time, God will work it together for good to build up and mature and build something beautiful in your life. Because sometimes we can say, if you're going through a hard time, God's going to heal you right now. And I believe in healing and I love the suddenlies of God and I've had areas of my life where God's just crashed in and healed them and I've prayed for hundreds if not thousands of people and seen the same thing happen. So I'm, I sign up for that every day. But sometimes it just doesn't happen. And our theology for it is simply this. God has a wider purpose in this thing, but his loving kindness promises us that it's going to end up for our good and for our benefit and create a greater degree of glory and likeness of Christ in our life. Third point. When God built this earth, he designed something great. Then he put his precious jewel on it. You and me. See, when God said it is good and then brings humanity on it, it goes from being good to being absolutely amazing. Now, we know the story. It hit a little bit of a hiccup. But Jesus came to fix that and we can now go back to where God planned us to take it in the beginning. The precious jewel on this earth, and as much as we see so much beauty, and I love creation, and I love animals, and I love all those things, but the precious jewel on this earth is God's people, you. That's his shining light. That's what God's about. That's what his focus is on. The problem is we try and contain that within ourselves rather than express it back to him and back through his people. See, into these three points come our reason for being, our reason for doing, and our reason for hope and joy, and our reason for enduring and overcoming, and our reason for just pushing on and valuing life. Augustine's words still ring true after all these hundreds of years. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus holds that out to everybody here every day that we can find our rest in him. See, we have to put our ultimate faith beyond anything the world has got to offer. The real peace and freedom Jesus wants to bring to us comes from knowing that he rules and he reigns despite our circumstances, despite what we're going through. And the essence of life flows from him to us and through us if we will let it. See, there's a biblical mandate for every aspect of life on this planet. 
talking about a plan for cities, a plan for countries, a plan for the economy, a plan for the ecology, a plan for health, a plan for justice, a plan for righteousness, for medication, for diet, for business, and on education and on the course goes. But God expects that plan to be action through his people and he has assigned every one of us to play a role in that somewhere, somehow. And when we discover that, we're now on the track to living a life with purpose. Whatever it is and wherever it goes. Once we plug into that, And Ephesians 2.10 promises us that God has a plan for everybody and it's discoverable in everybody's life. An Australian ecologist named Stephen Boyden listed some key requirements that are most conducive to health and well-being. It was all written up in the Time magazine some years ago. He said they include an environment and a lifestyle that provides the following. I'll read it to you. A sense of personal involvement, purpose, belonging, responsibility, interest, excitement, challenge, satisfaction, comradeship, love, enjoyment, confidence, and security. Now, he probably didn't know it, but he was describing the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you something else he, he probably did know. The dream of creating or providing this through politics and science and technology and knowledge and education has failed. All those things are good in themselves, but the great dream which started around the 16th century of creating a utopia using those tools has failed miserably. It could never succeed because the missing element is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and that's a horrendous element to be missing in any aspect of life. So this dream has failed. So where has the Western world gone? They've turned to the entertainment culture to escape along with the violations of drugs, sex, alcohol, and everything else that gets thrown into that mix. And the prophet Isaiah, seeing this coming, tells us to rise and shine, not because the world is suffering. God hates that. God cries over that. God eternally grieves over the suffering that's on his planet. But Isaiah is able to say, Arise and shine, brothers and sisters, because what you now have will shine greater and greater the darker things get around you. This is our moment. It's always been our moment. But if that's not enough for you, wait, there's more, as it says on TV. I'm not normally allowed to watch those programs. I end up buying things and then everyone laughs at me when they say, you didn't buy that, did you? But see, this is the thing. God has always intended our walk with him to be challenging and stimulating and at times dangerous and at times adventurous and at times painful and at times including an element of suffering and a whole lot of other things. But if that is not enough, God will give you something as a prize. And do you know what that is? Your life in him. There's the prize. Your life in Christ. And only a believer can get that. There's no other way. 
you can come out with your real God-given design life, a life that will be full of purpose. And it's all right, I'm getting to be finished, I'm finishing off. But my question is this, are you up for this? Are you prepared to let God take complete control of your life? Thank you, Roy, wherever you're seated, at the, the testimony and what you've brought to us. All of us have issues of life that we're struggling with and don't quite want to surrender because we can't see what it would be like without them. Are you prepared to let go of them when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on them? The reason why so many people are tired of life, worn out, frustrated and disillusioned is because they're doing too much of it on their, or in their own strength. Sin is overrated. It's devastating and debilitating, and I don't want to make light of it. But sin isn't the only problem you and I struggle with, brothers and sisters. Often it's what we've got locked into our own dreams and our own life and we're getting tired and exhausted and worn out and we're saying, where is God in the midst of all of this when the Spirit of God is saying, where are you and what I've created you to be doing, called you to be doing and empowered you to be doing? Where are you? So back to Haggai. It works out well. The people heard the word of the Lord and put his work first. It doesn't mean we do his work only. It means we just put it first. And they did. And so here we see what's happened. Haggai 2 verse 4. All you people of the land take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. See, they changed their heart and their focus, and as a result, God gets into their lives and behind their lives, declaring that he is with them. So here's what he is saying. Now that you're with me in my project and my calling and what I've put you for, I'm coming with you in everything that you are doing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be there when you're having fun. I'm going to be there when you're resting. I'm going to be there when you take a holiday. And we might see, well, I've only got X amount of dollars. This is all I can do for the holiday. And God says, that vision's way too small. And suddenly you get a phone call or an email and you get this amazing house. And See, we miss so much of this stuff because we just can't trust God for it. So we think we have to do it in our own strength. See, all of this makes the work and service of the Lord pleasant and delightful and provides us with a life of purpose. We need fear nothing and need never look back. All of life becomes meaningful and purposeful in him. I want to finish with uh, a couple of verses from Psalm 16. Everybody, almost everybody, in this beautiful country can say this. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Note that that comes first, so I'm going to read it again. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Like many of you, I've been through some tough times and some difficult times and sometimes cried out and says, where is God in this or I can't ever see my way through this. But I still have this testimony 
The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I want to finish by saying this. A whole number of us in this place, Lane Park Church, are moving on. I don't mean geographically. We're not leaving you. But we're moving on. We're going for something bigger and better and greater in God. We are very grateful for what God has done. We are delighted with, I mean, look at the place, look at the building, look at the lives, look at the transformed lives. It's exciting to hear that the youth are away and the Spirit of God is moving there and the Spirit of God is moving here. We are moving on. We want every one of you to come with us. Let's move on into something bigger and better and greater, but we have to put God's kingdom first. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. We want to thank you, Lord, that the curse and the debilitation of evil was shattered and broken at the cross. And Lord, that your resurrected life empowers us to overcome not only sin, but overcome the all sorts of temptations from the world, from the things around us, from taking our leisure when we should be working, and from putting our own projects before yours. Father, although your spirit is not one of condemnation, forgive us, Lord, when we have done those things. Lord, we know you're calling us on. We want to sign up. We want to put our hand to the plow and we want to go forward, Father, and live this wonderful life of purpose that you've made available to us in Jesus' name. Amen.